The epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In fact, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will bring to nothing. Where is the wise man? Where is the expert in the Jewish law? Where is the probing thinker of the present age? Has God not shown that the wisdom of this world is foolish? Indeed, since the world through its wisdom did not know God, God in his wisdom decided to save those who believe through the foolishness of the preached message. Yes, Jews asked for signs, Greeks desire wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is offensive to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For example, consider your call, brothers. Not many of you were wise from a human point of view. Not many were powerful and not many were born with high status. But God chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame those who are wise. God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are strong. And God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to do away with the things that are, so that no one may boast before God. But because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God, namely our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God did this so that, just as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You've noticed, I'm sure, graffiti etched into various places, I suppose, but it seems especially into the walls and stalls of bathrooms. The graffiti might say, so-and-so was here. Often, at least in the men's bathroom, they are off-color. Sometimes they can be about other people. So-and-so likes to do this or that, and the this or that is usually not flattering. I'd like to begin today by speaking about some ancient graffiti that scholars believe to be from around 200 A.D. in the city of Rome. Let me describe this graffiti for you. Somebody drew a picture of a cross with a man's body hanging on that cross, but instead of that body having a man's head on it, the fellow drew the picture of a donkey's head. So there's the body of a man with a donkey's head being crucified. And then to the side, there's a figure of a man drawn next to that cross. And finally, there's a caption to help the viewer understand what is being depicted. The caption is the kind you might find etched into a bathroom stall. It says, here is Alexomenos worshiping his god. Evidently, Alexamenos was a Christian, and this 
associate or friend or whatever of Aleximenos was making fun of him. This friend of Aleximenos believes that it is absolutely ridiculous to worship a dead man hanging on a cross. Just to make sure you wouldn't miss his point, he drew Christ with an ass's head. Probably something else that's going on here is the contempt that Roman people had for those who were crucified. Only losers, white trash, and slaves were crucified. So the whole thing is contemptible and embarrassing. Maybe to put yourself better into the mindset of this friend of Aleximenos, you should think of a turd. Here's Aleximenos worshiping his god. Here's Aleximenos worshiping a turd. Because we hear the word cross so often, and because we even hear Paul's words in our epistle reading fairly often, that we preach Christ crucified, we can easily lose sight of the offensiveness of our God being crucified and dead. We, of course, are eager to add, and resurrected. I don't worship a crucified, dead man. Jesus rose with power. But note that Paul does not have those words added on to what he says. He says, we preach Christ crucified. He doesn't say, we preach Christ crucified and resurrected. Now, this does not mean that Paul doesn't believe that Jesus was resurrected. Paul obviously believes that Jesus was resurrected. He gives a powerful and extended defense for the resurrection later in this very same letter in chapter 15. But even though Paul obviously believes that Jesus was also risen from the dead, he purposely only says... We preach Christ crucified instead of crucified and resurrected. And, in fact, as you'll hear in the reading next week, he says, I had no intention of knowing anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So why is Paul so focused on this turd-like thing that is so offensive and foolish. This seems to be what was in the back of the minds of the Corinthians, too. When you become familiar with First and Second Corinthians, it becomes plain that these Corinthians are a little fed up with Paul. Why does he always have to talk the way that he does? Why can't he be more like Apollos? It's always gloom and doom and weakness and humility with Paul. We don't want weakness. We want power. I have the power. That's a message that will sell, not this turd-like cross stuff. But as you will also hear next week, Paul was by no means coming to sell them anything. 
much less the cross. That's not how Christianity works. Nobody gets sold on Christianity. Nobody is converted by the persuasiveness of the message or the charisma of the preacher. That is, nobody is truly converted by such things. Preachers certainly can employ various techniques in order to gain a following for themselves, but Christians are created and sustained only by the Holy Spirit doing a miracle in them. The Holy Spirit makes them like Alexamenos. They worship that crucified and dead ass, that turd-like cross. What does such worship look like? How can we picture it? Let's apply it to the end of our lives by looking at a couple of well-known hymns. Maybe one day I will sing this at your graveside, according to the custom. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my dying eyes. Another hymn, O Sacred Head, now wounded, prays this prayer to Jesus in one of its verses. Be thou my consolation, my shield, when I must die. Remind me of thy passion, thy suffering and death, when my last hour draws nigh. Mine eyes shall then behold thee, upon thy cross shall dwell. My heart by faith enfold thee. Who dieth thus, dies well. This hymn verse is saying that when my last hour has come, and I'm gurgling away on that deathbed, let me think of Jesus, bloody, Glory, grim death with cruel rigor has robbed him of his life. This very old hymn says that that's the way to die. Remind me of thy passion when my last hour draws nigh. The one who dies that way, this hymn says, dies well. I feel that we all have something to learn from these hymn verses, do we not? It's so easy to dismiss such a suggestion for the deathbed. Ugh, yuck, gross. The last thing I want to be thinking about on my deathbed is pain and misery and the gasping and gurgling death of Jesus on the cross. Why would anyone want such a turd wafted under their nose at such a stressful time? But the answer, of course, is that this is no turd. True, as Paul says later to the Corinthians, 
The knowledge of Christ the crucified is the smell of death to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, that same cross of Christ is the smell of life, leading yet to more life. For what is the cross of Christ? The cross of Christ is the Son of God saving you. He's being punished for your sins. Jesus didn't cry out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of the sins that he committed, those were your sins. And the forsakenness of God is what should happen to you at your death if it weren't for Jesus' death, for Jesus' cross, Jesus' death reconciles you to God for the punishment that you deserve was instead poured out on him. So if we are not supposed to think of the cross of Jesus when we're dying, well then, when should we think about it? What's, What's the appropriate time to be reminded of Christ's passion? There is, in fact, no more appropriate time than when our own turd-like nature is being made manifest. There on that deathbed, what is death but the conclusive proof that we are not God? We are not strong. We can't fix this. We're stuck. But there is hope. However, there is only one hope. The doctors can't do anything. Trying harder can't do anything. But Jesus died on the cross to set me free from death. He defeated death on the cross so that I will be resurrected like Jesus was resurrected. The one who dies with faith in Jesus' cross dies well. Such a death isn't hardly a death at all. It would be better understood as merely a sleep, the lightest of naps, from which we will so easily awaken to everlasting life. So instead of being ashamed of Jesus the crucified being our God, We should proudly embrace him, particularly at his death, as our very own. He died for us to set us free. We are too weak and sinful to do anything, so he took our place. Thus we are saved through the foolishness of such a preached message. And make no mistake, this message is still regarded today as foolish. Consult the self-help gurus. I guarantee you that they will not say that you are blessed if you do what Jesus says we should do. If, for example, as we heard in our gospel reading, that we are poor or weak or merciful, or consult our experts on dying well. I guarantee you again that they will say nothing about bringing to mind how Jesus was tortured and killed. If the world would just be honest 
they'd have to admit that they hate what is said in the Bible. It all looks like terrible advice designed to make people miserable. But let's hear again from our reading. These words are as applicable to our times as they were to the Corinthians. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame those who are wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are strong. And God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to do away with the things that are so that no one may boast before God. Paul is actually being quite bold in these words, and if people would pay attention to him here, they will be offended. You think you're wise? You think you're strong? You think you're a good person? You think you've lived a good life? God pulls down all these things with the cross. No one may boast before God. If we want to boast, then we can boast in the Lord. If we want to boast, then let's boast in the cross. The message of the cross has this ever-recurring refrain over and over. I am weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. To go back to the graffiti with which we began, we don't know how Alexamenos reacted to that graffiti which was designed to mock him. The fellow who drew and wrote those things wanted to shame Alexamenos for worshiping such an obviously worthless god. But if Alexamenos understood what Paul teaches in our reading today, he shouldn't have been phased by that. And so also we should not be surprised if the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, as Paul says. The works of God have always been thought throughout the whole Bible to be bizarre, offensive, unlikely to ever succeed. That was even the way it was with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus' disciples thought that when they saw Jesus die, well, that was it. Their hopes of Jesus being the Messiah were dashed. But what we think, what the disciples think, what other people think, doesn't matter. At least it doesn't matter nearly so much as what God thinks. Lots of people look for power, and Christians say, Christ the crucified is power. And lots of people look for wisdom, and Christians say, Christ the crucified is wisdom. Thus, as Paul says, we preach Christ crucified because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The peace of God that transcends all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.